0: all right all right welcome back listeners to another episode of what had happened a true crime podcast i'm your host kimberly bringing you lesser known true crime stories summer is in full swing i hope you are all enjoying the amazing weather and doing all of the summertime activities that you love oh so much thank you all for tuning into the podcast i know that you could listen to anyone else and i appreciate you lending me your ear new listeners welcome and don't forget to join the what had happened facebook group follow the podcast on instagram and twitter where i am the absolute worst at tweeting links can be found below in the description box along with the references Last episode, I talked to you guys about the tragic and gruesome mutilation, murder slash suicide of Jasmine Fiore at the hands of her husband Ryan Jenkins. Today's episode, I will be telling you what happened in 1984 to the patrons and employees of a McDonald's in San Ysidro, California, over the course of 77 minutes. Deep breath mass shootings are something that we in america have become all too accustomed to these days but in 1984 there had only been a handful on record predating this one four out of the five having been committed by a lone gunman the 1949 Camden shootings in Camden, New Jersey, 28-year-old Howard Unruh shot and killed 13 people, including three children, and wounded one while strolling his neighborhood in what was called the Walk of Death for 12 minutes. The 1966 University of Texas Tower shooting in Austin, Texas, for over 96 minutes was 25-year-old Charles Whitman used knives to kill his mother and wife and then indiscriminately shot and killed 16 people and wounded approximately 32 before being killed by the Austin police. 1975, the Easter Sunday Massacre in Hamilton, Ohio, 40-year-old James Rupert committed one of the deadliest shootings inside a private residence when he executed 11 family members. 1982, in Wilkes barre Pennsylvania, George Emil Banks murdered 13 people, including his five children and some relatives. 1983, the Wa Massacre in Seattle, Washington, was a multiple homicide where Kwan Fai Mok, Wai Chun Ng, and Benjamin Ng, no relation, bound, robbed, and shot 14 people, killing 13 at the Wa Gambling Club in the Louisa Hotel. First I referenced these five uh, the these five because of these five I only knew about the University of Texas mass shooting. So I thought you my True Crime loving listeners might like a quick recap of the five leading up to today's case so you can look into them on your own if it's something you're interested in. But secondly and most importantly, While these first five, as I was able to find, were horrific in their own regards, today's case was, for seven years, the country's deadliest mass shooting committed by a lone gunman, an unfortunate title held until the 1991 Libby's Cafeteria Massacre in Colleen, Texas. Before delving into the day of the event, I'd like to talk about the background of the man who committed the crime. James Oliver Huberty was born on October 11, 1942, in Canton, Ohio. The youngest of Earl Vinson and Isley Huberty, James was described as a sullen child. Having contracted polio at the age of three, James would heal with the assistance of braces and medical treatments, but was left with a long-time limp. While he grew up in an extremely religious home, James was withdrawn and slightly antisocial, having been bullied extensively, but one thing about James was he developed a love for firearms and became a gunsmith, so to speak, as he got older. When James was eight, his father purchased 155, a 155-acre 155 farm, but his mother steadfastly refused to live on the property instead she became she abandoned her family and became a Pentecostal street preacher in Tucson Arizona while in school James remained reserved and average with his studies after graduating from high school James briefly studied sociology at Malone College in 1962 before switching to the Pittsburgh Institute for Mortuary Sciences in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania in 1964, he graduated with honors, receiving his funeral director's license, and in 1965, his embalmer's license. In early 1965, James and Etna Markland, a woman he began dating while at Malone College, wed. While proficient at his job, James's antisocial, introverted personality wasn't well-suited for the general public in his profession after two years james switched professions and became a welder although reclusive james was reliable always willing to work overtime and other shifts which by the mid-70s made for a very comfortable lifestyle james made between 25 to 30 thousand dollars which in 2021 would be roughly 125 thousand dollars a year so after moving into an affluent neighborhood during the winter of 1971, James and Etna's home caught fire. Not to be beaten down, the two bought another home on the same street and turned their now vacant lot, where their former home stood, into a six-unit apartment building, where which the two managed. Gotta love a hustle. Like, not gonna lie. Like, yo, hustle game is strong on these two. in 1972 and 1974, two daughters were born into the Huberty homestead, completing the family while everything may have appeared normal albeit quirky with the hubert family on the outside the truth was the women of the huberty home were all victims of domestic violence and abuse at the hands of james james would punch slap and threaten his daughters and wife with knives although etna reported the abuse she refused to leave her husband who was now also paranoid as well as violent so this is literally like my fourth or fifth take on this and while I have edited myself quite heavily <laughs> for my other outtakes I will point out this I feel that the reason why Etna did not leave James and she stayed with him was because this man had a lot of abandonment issues because his mother up and left the family when he was eight years old and that is as polite as i'm going to be on this etna like james refused to seek counseling although etna begged and pleaded and then the car you know the sly fox took matters into her own hands in an attempt to keep her weird as fuck husband cool like fonzie etna began to pacify and calm james by telling james james's future by reading playing cards and tarot cards okay so she wasn't a soothsayer she was not an empath a psychic a clairvoyant she had no metaphysical whatever she didn't whatever she wasn't okay she wasn't special like that but she was telling him what he wanted to hear So, James believed Aetna and would typically follow her readings' directions, but by doing this, she was essentially applying a band aid to an amputated limb. You know, she wasn't helping him because all she was doing was using the power of suggestion, but doing so under the guise of, I can see into the future. You are going to eat pork chops and applesauce with a tall glass of milk for dinner. You will say it's the most delicious pork chops and applesauce you've ever had in your life. I'm weak. Okay, so there's that. Like, I'm just saying. Again, I'm going really light right now considering how hard I was going. My intern is nodding her head. (laughs) feverishly and scratching like (sighs) yeah anyways so yeah she was basically just applying a band-aid to an amputated limb because his mental health was deteriorating rapidly and she was just playing into his lunacy co-workers and neighbors saw james as an ill-tempered paranoid joyless morose man who was obsessed with firearms and checks and balances you know you know that guy you know that guy i know that guy i know many of that guy i've encountered many of that guy as women you know they are the petty asses who don't forget any and every infraction instance or altercation actual or perceived as being a slight against him that guy mental tallies of every setback in life that one time that anderson smith stole my pencil which led to me getting an f on the pop quiz in second grade homeroom okay like that kind of shit okay and now i suck at life like that kind of shit like that that's that's where that mentality goes like it's really gross sorry duders Um, pardon my french here's where I go off of the script this is little dick energy it's little dick energy and I understand that a lot of this had to do with his mental faculties or lack thereof but in general I see this personally me myself Kimberly I see this as little dick energy can't fucking stand a person like this like if i encountered a man like this i would say you could promptly respectfully not even respectfully disrespectfully go fuck yourself please and thank you because you are bad energy the vibes are off Ugh. anywho you know he would let all of these general annoyances stockpile and he was so full of resentment and anger towards people just vitriol just fucking poison james would refer to retaliation as his debts on one instance he encouraged his daughters to beat up two other girls in response to a conflict between the children saying he believed in paying his debts both good and bad james was described as a conspiracy theorist and survivalist who believed an escalation of the Cold War of the Cold War was inevitable? James believed Presidents Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, and the United States government were conspiring against him as well. Fearing that the apocalypse was near due to the quote imminent increase in Soviet aggression james began stockpiling an ample supply of supplies for his home including non-perishables and weapons some bought off of his co-workers a family friend recalled that the huberty home was bedecked with firearms easily accessible everywhere all loaded with the safety off pet fucking peeve y'all pet motherfucking peeve right here Okay, listen. I believe in the right to bear arms. I believe in the right to protect your shit, your property, what is yours. I do not believe in the recklessness which is leaving loaded firearms with the safety off strewn about the home where children are present. I'm not with that shit fuck that shit fun fact when i was a little kid my father was in the military and my father had a specific closet that was and it was a closet closet like a hall closet within our home it was literally like the coat closet in the hallway i'll never forget it the coat closet i was i was i was i was a toddler but this coat closet Housed most of my father's weapons. Most of them. Not all of them, but most of them. And that shit was like Fort fucking Knox. Okay? And he never kept his ammunition in the same area where he kept his weapons. Now, I understand tactically how that can become a thing for some people, but like safety first first and fucking foremost when you have children in the home i understand wanting to protect your shit and protect your people protect your tribe but you gotta be responsible like i don't give a fuck how many guns you collect or own in your home that's your business okay what i care about is seeing the reports of children accidentally killing other children or family members or friends or innocent people because the dumbasses, the dumbass parents, the owners of the weapons, left them in either a place where the child could see where it was at, or left it down where the child could access it, okay? Stop fucking leaning, loaded fucking handguns laying around your fucking houses, people. It's little dick energy, too. Little dick and little vagina, okay? It's little all the way around. Please stop fucking doing that shit. Like, Fuck it. That's ridiculous. But, anyways, thank goodness nothing ever happened to these children in this home. Which I'm sure they were probably taught a lot of weapon safety as well. Well, I would hope. I would hope that they were taught weapon safety. But I would never want my. I would never. Uh uh-uh. uh. I never wanted to be fucking comfortable as a kid around a weapon. I just never wanted to. Not in that. Not in that regard. Because if i'm comfortable with it and then my friends come over that's where shit can go left you know what i mean if you're gonna teach your children to use weapons teach them to use them fucking responsibly too please and thank you kids know how to need to learn how to defend themselves as well i i i, I agree with all of that all right just don't fucking be irresponsible people jesus fucking wept <sighs> anyways so his house was a fucking bunker he had kept all of these damn weapons stockpiled. He felt like everything was crashing in on him. He felt like the apocalypse was inevitable. Everybody was coming for him. Um, you know, and then the house of cards started to fall on itself. So November of 1982, after about a decade as a welder at Babcock and Wilcox... James was laid off upset and despondent over his frightful financial situation and inability to provide for his family immediately James began to spiral a former co-worker said that upon learning of the impending layoff James said that if he wasn't able to provide for his family quote he'd kill them all himself and himself quote take everyone with him etna said that shortly after james was laid off he began hearing voices so yeah let's rock and roll right in 1983 james pointed a loaded pistol to his temple and threatened to commit suicide but etna was able to dissuade him but later on he'd tell her you should have let me shoot myself Still unable to find employment, by the spring of 1983, James and Etna sold their six-unit apartment building for $115,000, which I did not do the, uh, I didn't check to see what that would be in today's currency. The ups and downs continued to hit the Huberty family. Shortly after the sale of the apartment building, James was hired as a welder with Union Metal Manufacturing Company, but that job would only last for five weeks before the plant closed. A few weeks later, James and one of his daughters were in a car accident. Egad's brain, like, it's like when it rains, it pours, you know what I mean? Like, they can't catch a break. So, James noted that after the accident, there was an aggravation in neck pains that he had endured as a child, you know, because remember he had polio, and tremors occasionally in his arms and hands. So, having gone through a myriad of pitfalls and increased fear of not being able to sustain themselves in the U.S. for too much longer, with the $115,000 from the sale of their apartment building, um... In the summer of 1983, the Huberties applied for residency in Mexico, figuring that their $115,000 would go further and last longer. In September of 1983, James told his, sold his home for $12,000 cash, with the new owners assuming the $48,000 mortgage. James informed family and acquaintances of his plans to relocate his family to Mexico where James planned to, quote, show them who's boss by obtaining a job, home, and otherwise comfortable life in Tijuana. The following month, the Huberty family relocated from Ohio to Tijuana, Mexico, leaving most everything behind in storage but the things deemed James deemed most essential, primarily his arsenal of weapons, okay so hold on a second my handy dandy assistant says that in 2021 the $115,000 would equate to $307,003.98 thank you handy dandy assistant okay so the things that he deemed most essential were primarily his arsenal of weapons and survival supplies when the Huberty family moved to mexico etna and the children assimilated to their new life quite easily while brooding and introverted james struggled not only with the language but to find the employment he envisioned while in ohio almost as soon as the family moved to mexico james began to regret his decision he was like fuck that shit i mean you know like listen I've lived in foreign countries and I understand being lost in translation it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot to take in you know it really is it can swallow you whole you know you either sink or swim so you know almost as soon as you know he and the family moved there he regretted his decision so after three months in tijuana the Huberty family went back across the border up north just across to the largely impoverished impoverished district of san diego called san ysidro initially the family rented a unit in the cottonwood apartments as james sought employment the huberties were the only white family in the complex which deeply irritated the fucking shit out of james like seriously infuriated him caused him to just be like a bitter bitch times 10 soon after moving into the cottonwood apartment james applied for security like he saw this advert in a newspaper and he applied Because it was security guard training through a federally funded program. So fuck, now you're teaching this bastard how to become a security guard. Okay, but whatever. Okay, here we go. Shortly after completing his training on April 12th, 1984, James was hired as a security guard for a condominium complex. This, do- this job doubled the family's income, and they were able to move into a two bedroom apartment and have their furniture shipped from Ohio. And, like, they were able to, like, move into an apartment that cost roughly $450 a month, which at the time was, you know, an exorbitant amount of money. So that's good, you know. But on July 10th, 1984, James was fired from his job for his poor work performance and physical inability. And they didn't get in depth with what the physical in instability—I'm sorry, instability was—but oh, it is what it is. On July 15th, James told Aetna he suspected that he might have a mental problem. Two days later, on the morning of July 17th, James placed a call to San Diego Mental Health Clinic, requesting an appointment so while he was on the phone james was like calm as a cucumber and demeanor and said that he'd never been treated for mental illness so the person the operator whomever it is that's on the phone at the time that he placed this call she basically has like this little checklist you know that she has to go down to see if this is like a life or death situation if this requires immediate resolve or if this can like you know wait a little bit so you know james had had said that he hadn't had never been treated for mental illness he gave the contact information and he was assured that someone would call him back within hours to schedule him etna said that for hours james sat quietly next to the phone now this actually breaks my fucking heart like like this one part Okay, I mean, yeah, I was sad for him. The polio as a child. His mother abandoning him. Yeah, I was sad for him in that. But this part right here is what completely broke my heart and my spirit for this man. This is the only sympathy that this person gets from me. Okay, he sat there next to that phone wanting help. He had told his wife after years, okay, if I'm going back on the timeline, she had begged him for a decade to seek treatment for his mental illness. She begged him. She had to con him and convince him that she was psychic and telling him his future to keep him calm because he could not take that step in accepting the fact that he was suffering from mental instability he then starts to spiral even further over the course of that decade and then finally when he feels as if all hope is lost he finally takes the step To call and seek out mental help. And this is what happens. He sat quietly next to the phone for hours. Finally, sick of waiting for a return call, James hopped on his motorcycle and drove off. What James didn't know was this. At the time of his call, his last name was recorded as Schuberty, not Huberty. Due to his calm disposition on the phone, the operator didn't find any cause for alarm and noted his call as a non-crisis that would be returned in 48 hours. Etna said that on the evening of the 17th, James returned home an hour later in good spirits. He ate dinner with the family. James Etna and their daughters, aged 10 and 12, went on a bike ride to a nearby park and later James and Etna watched a movie together. This was a man who was tying up his loose ends. As a person, I, I mean, as a person who knows people who have committed suicide, this is someone who was tying up their loose ends. He tried to get help. He got shut down. He left. In that hour, he probably made up his mind as to what he was going to do next, which was going to. Which would most likely. And, and this is just my perspective from this. Was to allow the voices. To take over. And. To. Fall into that abyss of darkness. Okay. He came home. He seemed chipper. He didn't fight with his wife. He didn't fight with his daughters. He didn't abuse them. He ate dinner happily. They all went on a bike ride like a family. He snuggled his wife most likely on the couch and watched a fucking movie this was a man tying up his loose ends on a familial level on the morning of july 18th 1984 james and his family took a trip to the san diego zoo this was a man tying up his loose ends this was like the, the last family outing for him this man wanted to create some good memories for his wife and children before blowing up the outside world just blowing up everything follow me people while strolling around James explained to Etna his belief that his life was essentially over in reference to James's failed attempt to obtain mental health the day before, James said to Aetna, Well, society had their chance. Following their trip to the zoo, the Huberties ate lunch at a McDonald's in the Claremont area of San Diego and went home. Having had a good day out as a family, the Huberty women were dispersed throughout the home. Etna lay across the bed in her bedroom when James appeared dressed in a maroon t-shirt and camouflage trousers. James walked over to his wife and said, I'd like to kiss you goodbye. Etna obliged, but then asked James where he was going as she was about to start making dinner. James calmly said he was, quote, going hunting, hunting for humans gun slung across his chest a box of ammunition and a bundle wrapped in a checkered blanket in his arms James looked back at his youngest daughter and told her goodbye I won't be back as he walked out of the Huberty family residence on on Avril Road they had no idea what the fuck was about to happen after leaving his apartment witnesses say they saw James drive towards the Big Bear grocery store and the post office before pulling into the parking lot of the McDonald's 200 yards away from his apartment. At, a par- at approximately 3.56 p.m., James pulled his black marquee into the parking lot of the, Mc- the McDonald's filled with 45 patrons and employees, unaware that they were corralled inside a madman's impromptu hunting ground. For a few minutes, James sat in the parking lot gathering his weapons and ammunition and his fucking balls. James brought with him a 9mm Browning HP semi-automatic pistol, 9mm Uzi carbine, a Winchester 1200 12-gauge pump-action shotgun, a box and cloth bag filled with hundreds of rounds of ammunition for each weapon. Entering the restaurant minutes later, James first aimed his shotgun at a 16 year old employee named john arnold from a distance of approximately 15 feet as he did so the assistant manager guillermo flores shouted hey john that guy's gonna shoot you according to john arnold when james pulled the trigger nothing happened as james inspected his gun (sighs) restaurant manager newlywed who had just returned and newlywed who had just returned from her honeymoon 22 year old Neva Kane walked towards the service counter of the restaurant in the direction of John as John believing that this was all a sick joke began to walk away from the gunman James fired his shotgun towards the ceiling before aiming the Uzi at Neva shooting her once beneath her left eye she died minutes later immediately after shooting Neva James fired his shotgun at john arnold wounding the teenager in the chest and arm before shouting everybody on the ground james then referred to all present in the restaurant as dirty swine vietnamese vietnam assholes before claiming that he had quote killed a thousand and that he intended to quote kill a thousand more upon hearing james's profane rant and seeing Kane and Arnold shot, one customer, 25-year-old Victor Rivera, tried to persuade James not to shoot anyone else. In response, James shot him 14 times, repeatedly shouting shut up as Victor screamed in excruciating pain. As staff and customers tried to hide beneath tables and service booths, James turned his attention towards six women and children huddled together. He first killed 19-year-old maria Colmenero silva with a single gunshot to the chest then fatally shot nine-year-old claudia perez in the stomach cheek thigh hip leg chest back armpit and head with his uzi he then wounded perez's 15 year old sister sister imelda once in the hand with the same weapon and fired upon 11 year old aurora peña with his shotgun Aurora initially wounded in the leg had been shielded by her pregnant aunt 18 year old Jackie Reyes James shot Jackie Reyes 48 times with the Uzi beside his mother's body 8 month old Carlos Reyes sat up and wailed Upon James, oh, whereupon James shouted at the baby then killed the toddler with a single pistol shot to the center of the back like a cowardice motherfucking son of a bitch James then shot and killed a 62-year-old trucker named Lawrence Versuluis before targeting a family seated near the play area of the restaurant who had tried to shield their son and their friend beneath the tables with their bodies. 31-year-old Blythe Reagan Herrera had shielded her 11-year-old son, Mateo's friend, 12-year-old Keith Thomas oh beneath one booth as her husband ronald protected mateo's friend 12 year old keith thomas beneath a booth directly across from them ronald herrera urged thomas not to move shielding the boy with his body keith was shot in the shoulder arm wrist and left elbow but was not seriously wounded side note he appears in the documentary 77 minutes ronald herrera was shot six times in the stomach chest arm hip shoulder and head but survived his wife blythe and son mateo were both killed by numerous gunshots to the head which i can't even fucking imagine that's like what's that asshole's name i can't even fucking think right now my brain is so fucking frazzled what's the fucking comedian with the sledgehammer that like my assistant just looked at me like a whole ass gen z like i don't know what you're talking about i can't even think right now like that's just how upset i am by this um gallagher i think his name was gallagher like fucking like sledgehammering a whole watermelon hey can you google gallagher i'm pretty sure that that's his name Brunette gentleman Chester Stash wore like coveralls and like or overalls and like long sleeve shirt Gallagher. Gallagher. Thank you. Yeah, see, listen, I'm a I'm, I'm a pop culture aficionado, motherfucker. I can't not not reference some shit. Plus, I'm also low key weepy, so like I needed a break. Anyways, nearby three women had attempted to hide beneath the booth. We talked about this no we didn't nearby three women had also, had also attempted to hide beneath a booth 24 year old Guadalupe Del Rio lay against a wall she was shielded by her friends 25 year old Gloria Ramirez and 31 year old oh jeez Aris Delcy Vu jeez Vuelvas Vargas okay so guadalupe was hit several times but was not seriously wounded gloria was unhurt (sighs) whereas Aris, aris delci received a single gunshot wound to the back of the head she died of her wound the next day and was the only person fatally wounded who lived long enough to reach a hospital at another booth james killed 45 year old banker hugo velasquez with a single shot to the chest the first of many calls to emergency services was me shortly after 4 p.m notifying the police of a shooting of a little girl okay so wires got crossed they were told that a little girl was shot at mcdonald's and had been taken to the post office but there were two mcdonald's one on the hold on a second one on the west side and the other one on the east side so the first responding officer went to initially went to the east side but he needed to go to the west yeah he was initially dispatched to the east and then like maybe a block or so later the call came back in and he was sent to the proper location and that he lost like four like approximately four fucking minutes with response time and that's not that's not his fault because there are two fucking mcdonald's and they weren't clear with this one so it was a two mile difference from the you know from that area this error delayed the imposition of the lockdown by several minutes and the only warnings to the civilians that were walking riding or driving towards the restaurant were given by passerbyers now people that were passerbying that were like catching all of this action live on the streets like a lot of people didn't understand what what was being said like as people were pulling into mcdonald's and people were like yo this motherfucker's shooting you know what i'm saying like you know like you can't halfway here and people weren't understanding also this is a heavily hispanic community and just going off of the documentary 77 minutes there were a lot of subtitles okay a ton of subtitles i'm gonna go to my notes real quick and read an entire quote from one of the victims and then i'll get back into the rest of this okay so from the top literally from the top of 77 minutes you are hit with subtitles as marie leticia rivera a survivor they called her a victim i call her a survivor says very often I would wake up screaming because I felt I was going through it all over again. That went on for years. It went on for many years seeing everything like the first time. I would wake up drenched in sweat, crying as if I as if it had just happened yesterday. I still I still feel like it just happened. It damaged me a lot. It destroyed my life. I saw a lot of things. I saw a lot of families. I saw how they died. It was men, women, and children. I saw many victims. So, for her to still be haunted, I mean, and and all of the survivors are still fucking haunted by this. And the family members of the survivors and the family members of the victims. You know... That's a lot, okay. But to know that I um, I cannot put fault. This was 1984. There was a problem with the dispatch. They were given misinformation. So, shortly after 4 p.m., a young woman named Lydia Flores drove into the parking lot, stopping at the drive-through window, and she noticed the shattered windows and the sound of gunfire before quote before looking up there he was just shooting she reversed her car until she crashed into a fence she hid in some bushes with her two year old daughter until the shooting ended at approximately 4.05 p.m. a Mexican couple Estalfo and Marciela Felix drove towards one of the service areas of the restaurant and Marciela Felix was also interviewed sidebar in the documentary noting the shattered laminated glass alstoffo initially assumed renovation work was in progress and that james striding towards the car was a repairman i mean you know he's walking around in you know camouflage trousers and a maroon t-shirt i mean nobody it's not as off-putting i mean if you've ever been around somebody who does repair work like literally my HOA's repairman wears the exact same thing literally the exact same thing it might be like khaki cargos but sometimes it's camo it is what it is so James strode towards their car and fired his shotgun and Uzi at the couple and their four-month-old daughter Carlita striking Marcella in the face arms and chest blinding her in one eye and permanently rendering one, uh, one hand unusable. Her baby was critically wounded in the neck, chest, and abdomen. Elstafo was wounded in the chest and head. Also Eltafo and Marcella staggered away from James's line of fire. Marcella gave their baby to her husband. Eltafo handed the, the screaming baby to a young baby uh, to a young lady named Lucia Valesco um, as his wife collapsed near their car. Valesco rushed the baby to a nearby hospital as her husband assisted Alstafo and Marcella into a nearby building um all three members of the felix family survived carlita says that she obviously has no recollection of any of this but she's you know she's seen the photographs there's a heartbreaking picture of her in the NICU I believe it is and there's a nurse who's you know leaning over her you know essentially soothing the baby and her mother says that it broke her heart because she wasn't there to be with her baby because she they were all in depth sep- they were all sent to separate hospitals um at the time she wasn't near her baby but at the same time she felt like she was glad that she wasn't there to see her baby in that condition because it would have killed her and Carlita said the only thing that she has as a real reminder of all of this is she and her mother have the same matching scar on their stu- in their abdomen <sighs> three 11 year old boys then rode their bikes into the west parking lot to purchase some Sundays. so they had just left the donut shop that was like in close proximity to the mcdonald's and they were like yo you know it would be bomb as fuck to go eat these fucking donuts yo motherfucking ice creams and not gonna lie when their soft serve machine works those mcdonald's ice cream sundaes fucking slap so you know these boys were like yo let's go get some of that bomb diggity okay so joshua coleman and his friends decided to roll across over there hearing a member of the public yell something again just like i said before like people that were coming in were only being told by passer buyers that people were like getting shot and these boys couldn't understand what was being said because they're riding by on bicycles and there's traffic going on on the street like there are variables to this and so they didn't hear plus the people were yelling at them from across the street so, all three boys kind of, look like, kind of hesitated, and then James, who was still in the parking lot, I, I believe, because he had just shot, you know, at El Marciella, and Carlita, he's still, like, in the general vicinity of the parking lot, he starts shooting at these children, okay? So, he shoots at them with his shotgun and Uzi, Joshua Coleman fell to the ground, critically wounded in the back, arm, and leg. He he laid there playing dead for an hour i believe i don't remember if it was him that laid there playing dead or if it was keith thomas one of those two boys said that they laid there and played dead but he watched his friend omar alonso hernandez and david flores delgado get hit he later recalled looking towards his two friends and noting that um Omar was on the ground with multiple gunshot wounds to his back and had started vomiting whereas David Delgado had received several shotgun wounds to his head and he just wasn't moving so you know Joshua Coleman survived while his friends Omar and David you know were were both killed at the scene james next noticed an elderly couple jesus fucking christ 74 year old miguel victoria youola oh god i'm so sorry guys i am not trying to fuck up these last names you l o a and 69 year old uh ada velasquez victoria walking towards the entrance so as miguel reached to open the door for his wife like a lovely chivalrous gentleman does james fired his shotgun killing aida with a shot, a gunshot to the face and wounding miguel and that is just fucking disgusting an uninjured survivor oscar monto Mund- mondragon later reported observing miguel cradling his wife in his arms wiping blood from her face shouting curses at james who then approached the doorway swore at miguel and then killed him with a shot to the head you know because let's just fucking add more insult to fucking injury right I mean, this man was just literally. Mm. So, approximately 10 minutes after the first call had been placed to emergency services, police arrived at the correct McDonald's restaurant. 10 minutes. Now, the officers didn't have a lot of information. They didn't know how many shooters there were. They didn't know, you know, they didn't know what the fuck was going on they didn't know how many people were down they didn't know how many people were in the restaurant there was no communication with inside within the location with law enforcement so first officer on the scene was officer miguel rosario who rapidly determined the location and the cause of the actual disturbance because he went across the street to like the post office as well like you know what i mean like he had to check some shit out So then he relayed the information to the San Diego Police Department as James fired at Officer Rosario's patrol car. Like the fucking gall of this country. Officers deployed immediately imposed a lockdown on the area, thank God, which was spanning six blocks from the site of the shooting. That's a really good canvas net. That's a really good lockdown net. The police established a command post two blocks from the restaurant, which is also good because you want to keep your crew alive before you, you know, rap tap bang. And deployed 175 officers in numerous strategic locations. So you had people on rooftops, you had people in buildings, you had people on the streets you had people in windows you had people everywhere okay they were falling out the fucking sky because bentlam had ensued at the mcdonald's oh geez so these officers were joined within the hour by several swat team members who also took positions around the restaurant as james was firing rapidly and alternating between firearms like a fucking pro literally i mean they did say that he was like a gunsmith police initially were unaware of how many individuals were inside the restaurant y'all we heard the same thing from columbine now yes that was a two shooter situation but when the reports first came in for the columbine shooting we were told that there were more than two shooters in fact it was the trench coat mafia so, see, we didn't know what was going on. They didn't know, they were unaware of how many individuals were in the restaurant. Furthermore, because most of the restaurant's windows had been shattered by the gunfire, there was like reflections from like shards of glass that made it additionally difficult for police focusing inside the restaurant. Like it's really hard to train your sights on someone when there's shards of glass everywhere. So, initially the police were concerned that the gunmen or gunmen might be holding hostages although like one individual who had escaped from the restaurant informed police that there was only a single gunman present in the premises holding no hostages and just fucking shooting everybody that he encountered so at 505 p.m. all responding law enforcement personnel were authorized to kill the perpetrator or perpetrators should they obtain a clear shot yes let's just fucking end all of this several survivors later reported observing james walk towards the service counter and adjust a portable radio possibly to search for like news reports of his shooting spree before selecting a music station and and further shooting individuals as he danced to the music yeah my intern is like wow mind freak me too right and shouting oh there's more you're trying to hide from me in response to one female employee screaming in spanish don't kill me don't kill me oh god before james opened fire killing 21 year old paulina lopez 19 year old elsa borboa fierro and 18 year old margarita padilla and critically wounding 17 year old albert leos Immediately before James had begun shooting, Padilla grabbed the hand of her friend and colleague, 17-year-old Wendy Flanagan, before the two began to run. Oh, man. Margarita was then fatally shot. Wendy, four other employees, and a female customer hid inside a basement utility room. They were later joined... Oh, man. They were later joined... By Albert Leos who had crawled to the utility room after being shot five times when a fire truck drove within range James opened fire and repeatedly pierced the vehicle with bullets slightly wounding one of the occupants in the fire truck hearing a wounded teenager 19 year old Jose Perez moaning James shot him in the head The boy slumped dead in the booth. Jose Perez died alongside his friend and neighbor, 22-year-old Gloria Gonzalez, and a young woman named Michelle Carncross. At one point, Aurora Pena, who had lain wounded beside her dead aunt, oh, that was Jackie, her 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 dead aunt jackie reyes and baby cousin and two friends noted there was a lull in the firing opening her eyes she saw james nearby staring in her direction he swore and threw a bag of french fries at pena then retrieved his shotgun and shot the child in the arm neck and jaw so he was standing there like he took a fucking break because you know slaughtering people slaughtering people you know you 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 gotta treat yourself fucker like and and fuck you want some fries with that no and fuck you for like making me not necessarily want some mcdonald's french fries in the near future or a fucking hot fudge Sunday. fuck you it was the simple things in life for me you fucking bastard but he throws the he sees this child this is what happens he takes a fucking break to eat some 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 shit and he's observing you know he's taking in his his work and he looks in the direction he sees that this child is still alive and he gets pissed the fuck off and throws the fucking fries he didn't throw them at her to offer them to her he threw them down because now he's got to pick up his fucking weapon i can't even enjoy a goddamn french fry now i gotta finish you off That's what the fuck happened right there Mm. so aurora pena survived because she's a boss although she would remain hospitalized longer than any of the other survivors she said that i never did see his face the first time i was actually able to see james he was sitting on a counter in a about the middle of the building then he got up and started walking towards the door where he had a better view where we had a better view of him from the neck down he stopped about six feet from the door so i took the shot he dropped the uzi and was thrown back a a few feet swat sniper Charles, charles foster recollecting his shooting of james huberty so At 5.17, James walked from the service counter towards the doorway close to the drive-in window of the restaurant affording a 27-year-old police SWAT sniper named Charles Foster deployed to a strategic position on the roof of the post office directly opposite the restaurant an unobstructed view of his body from the neck down through his telescopic sight. Foster fired a single round from a range of approximately 35 yards, or 32 meters. The bullet entered he, uh, James's chest, severing his aorta just beneath his heart and exiting through his spine. In the words of Scorpion, Finish, finish him. him. leaving an exit wound one inch square and sending James sprawling backwards onto the floor directly in front of the service counter, killing him almost instantly. Immediately after shooting James Hubrity, Foster relayed to other responding officers that he had killed the perpetrator and that his focus remained on the motionless suspect. Nonetheless, as so many rounds had been expended from different firearms within the restaurant, police were not completely certain the sole perpetrator was deceased. You know, because he did come in with the 9mm Browning HP semi-automatic pistol, the 9mm Uzi carbine, the Win- and the Winchester 1212 gauge pump action shotgun. So, motherfucker had an arsenal. Ooh. so police were not completely certain that he was deceased but entering the restaurant approximately a minute later a police sergeant focusing his gun upon james as he noted the movement of a wounded girl when asked if the deceased man was the subject the girl nodded her head <sighs> the entire incident had lasted for 77 minutes during which time james he fired a minimum of 257 rounds of ammunition killing 20 people and wounding as many as many others one of whom was pronounced brain dead upon arrival at the hospital and died the following day so that brought us up to 21 with 17 of the vic- you know 17 of the victims were killed inside of the restaurant and four in the immediate vicinity Only ten individuals inside the restaurant were uninjured, six of whom had hidden inside the basement utility room. And remember, one of them, Albert Leos, had been hit five times before he got into that utility room in the basement. Several victims had tried to staunch their own wounds and or the wounds of other companions with napkins, um, but it was often in vain of the fatalities 13 had died from gunshot wounds to the head seven from gunshots to the chest and one victim the eight-month-old baby carlos reyes from a single nine millimeter gunshot to the back the victims whose age ranged from four months and fuck that because jackie reyes was pregnant so we gonna count that baby too okay that baby in her gut to 70 fucking four years old were predominantly though not exclusively of mexican or mexican american ancestry reflecting the local demographics and apparently something that he fucking hated prior to shooting several of his victims james had shouted accusations or insults on one occasion he had also shouted that he himself did not deserve to live wham bitch you're right you don't but that he was taking care of this matter okay so this was settling debts this was paying debts that's what he was doing although huberty had repeatedly shouted throughout his shooting spree that he had been a veteran of the vietnam war he had never ever 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 fucking served in any military branch stolen Stolen goddamn goddamn valor sorry as a vet i get pissed initial reports issued by the san diego police department followed the, following the massacre indicated that james Rudy had shot all injured or killed within the restaurant in the initial minutes after he had first entered the restaurant but the claim was hotly disputed by survivors who stated that james had shot both wounded and unwounded people over 40 minutes after he had first opened fire like he was in there fucking rocking out with his cock out okay he was jamming on the ones and twos so here's what had happened what had happened is one this is a very long episode but you deserve it treat yourself you know you guys really deserve over an hour what what had happened is this, there was a man who was mentally fucked, he was a broken human being on many levels, okay, that does not, that's undisputed, okay, he had an obsession with firearms, I'm not going to start any fucking firearms debates, this isn't a pissing contest, but that happened to be what he fixated on and became quite proficient at okay that was what he loved he also at some point in time decided that he just wanted not fucking kill people because he already had his you know disposition being piss poor towards people disliking people just being a curmudgeon overall so you have all of these things stacked up he was a person who felt like everything i believe he felt like shit was owed to him and like people were constantly just wronging him and any fucking affront to his senses and sensibilities was like a personal attack and that's bullshit but whatever again there's mental illness that is also that's got to be taken into consideration here so you have a mentally thwacked person who decided that he couldn't he he just couldn't even anymore and he tried to get some help but it was for naught as the help did not come fast enough and that is a fucking problem so i've got a huge axe to grind with that one too let's do better towards people who are trying i'm sorry just because somebody's calm doesn't mean that they're all there just because they're calm doesn't mean that you couldn't that you're not going to quote-unquote prevent a fucking forest fire okay Fucking take the shit seriously. Do better at your goddamn jobs, please and thank you. Okay? So, this man had an internal war going on within himself, not to mention the war he was louting on his fucking family and his friends. Not even friends, associates, coworkers, whatever. He has a very bad fucking day where he can't get help and he snaps. And this man premeditatedly decided that he was going to go a hunting, a hunting humans and he unleashed a fury from within on people that had nothing to do with him or his mental hang-ups and he slaughtered them he fucking slaughtered them slaughtered them goddamn playland will never be the same okay he executed those people they didn't stand a fucking chance there was nobody else in there with a fucking weapon that could defend themselves how is that a fair fucking fight but in doing so he knew that he himself was going to be eradicated as well and for that i say sir you are a total coward because you mercilessly killed a ton of people and broke so many more you know the ripple effect it to me it's like one of those cowardices where he decided that he was going to kill all of these people so that the police would have to kill him and to me that is the most cowardly way out um i'm saying that if you felt like you no longer had the will to live you did not have to take all of these people's lives in the process of trying to facilitate the end game for yourself where you are now expired as well the loss of life was vast it was uncalled for none of this loss of life is ever fucking called for but it's just something that's really difficult to work your mind around and then it's like you also have to take into consideration you know the children had to grow up being taunted because of something that their mentally ill father did these girls and their mother had to bear this mark of Cain they are the ones who are a part of the victim you know they are part of the victim list as well because they had to endure years of this man's lunacy leading up to him finally snapping they were the ones that were in the front lines of his abuse they were the ones who were being beaten and threatened they were the ones who were being antagonized they were the ones who were you know just haunted in their own fucking home by the person that they're supposed to trust the person that they're supposed you know that's supposed to love and care for them and treat them with respect and you know be a positive person in their lives and it's sad that he was mentally broken it's sad that the mental health system did him no service whatsoever they did him they did him and the community a complete disservice um there's that and it's just an overall tragic Tale altogether, um, you know, I don't do this ever. But listen, I am going to include some phone numbers right now. So if you have any suicidal ideations, any thoughts of self harm, please feel free to call the suicidal, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That hotline number is 1-800-273-8255. Again, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline phone number is 1-800-273-8255. Please, 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 especially as we're coming off the tails of this pandemic, take care of your mental and be aware of the mental health of the people around you. You could save fucking lives, people, just by being able to, like, disconnect from your devices for a minute and take in your surroundings and take in what's going on with the people around you, you know? um, Let's save lives, not take them. Have a great day. Hope you guys enjoyed this super extra long episode of What Had Happened, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly. I'll see you soon with another lesser-known true crime story. I don't really fucking feel like outro music tonight. Mmm. Wah.